Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. A number of years ago, Tiffany and I um, had this yearly tradition of uh, we would go to watch the Cardinals practice uh, in Flagstaff. It's a, you know, obviously it's a good time of year to get out in their preseason uh, games and their training camps. It's July. Uh, no better time really to go to Flagstaff than July or August here in, in Phoenix. And so we'd, we'd go up there uh, and just we'd enjoy it. It's, you know, they get the daily rain, it's cooler, and we get to enjoy some football. I remember one time, it was 2008, this was their Super Bowl year, the year before they were getting ready to go into that, that the one Super Bowl that we all can remember, uh, the only one really that they've been to. We, we sat on the hillside and we got there early and we're just enjoying the weather. And as we're sitting there, people are kind of, the players are starting to come out, you know, in the fields. Uh, But one guy came over, and he was right in front of us, and he was stretching out. He was trying to get his legs warm and his arms warm. And it was Kurt Warner, who was the the quarterback that year of the the Cardinals. And as we were sitting there, he kind of glanced up at us, and we were the only ones around. And he just said, hey, can I ask you guys a question? And we said, yeah, sure. He asked his question. He said, why are you, why do you guys come out here to watch this? Like, why, why is everybody out here? We're just, we're practicing. This is just, it's just football practice. Like, like, I'm just trying to understand. It was, it was almost as if he was bewildered. Like, why would anybody come out here intentionally? You know, he, he's got to do it because it's his job. Why would anybody else just go out and watch practice? It was a, it was a, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing here? It doesn't make any sense for you to be here. Um, he was grateful that we were there, obviously, but he was, just, he was just asking a question, hey, what is going on here? It's that, what are you doing? Why are you here? This seems like a place that, that I mean, he's like, I, if I were you, I probably wouldn't be here. Uh, I'd be at home, I'd be doing something else. Why are you here? That question of why are you here should be a question that we ask all of the time when we think about Jesus coming. Why did he come here? And I think that we can become overly familiar with the answer because we know Christmas and we know, oh yeah, Jesus came and you know, he saved us from our sins and things like that. But I think it's, it's a question that we too quickly gloss over. Why did he come here? You know, you know why that question should be asked? Because this is a messy place. This world is a messy place. We saw that from Genesis 3, the very beginning of this series, this Advent series, anticipating the arrival of Jesus. We talked about how when he made us, he created everything, and then we turned our backs on him. Remember we talked about how it, was, it wasn't just rule breaking that, that Adam and Eve did, it carried on to us, but it was actually rule making. I don't care about your rules. I want my own rules. That's what people did. And it created this world of messiness. This messy world of, of rulemaking and of rebellion and of turns abuse and sin and all of these things that happen in this world. It is a messy world. And God himself chose to come here. God himself chose to leave where he was to come here which is something that we need to make sure we understand. Actually, it's, it's one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas. It's the, one of the, the things we celebrate at Christmas is the celebration that God himself 
chose to enter this mess. He chose to enter your mess. He chose to enter my mess, the, the mess of the world. It's our big idea this morning. Christmas is our time to celebrate that God himself chose to enter our mess. And we need to get this. We, we, we actually oftentimes move on from this too quickly when we think about Christmas. We just don't, we don't spend enough time, I think, pondering that God himself came here. He came into this world. And we want to take some time this morning just to ponder this. The question that we want to ask as we think about this is, what's at stake if we don't understand it? Because this is a truth of the Bible. God did choose to come into this mess. But what if we just gloss over it and we don't spend the time thinking about it? What is at stake for you on a Tuesday morning, on a Thursday afternoon, at work, at your mom's playgroup, at, uh, at school? What is it about it if you don't grasp it? What, what are we missing? What are we going to, how does it affect us? What's at stake if you, church member, anchor church member here in this room, or you, anchor church member at home, or guest here or at home, what is it you, you miss if you miss this? We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, but first we're going to read through John uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. We're going to break it down a little bit. I actually have a little bit different this morning. I have four truths from this text that we're going to pull out. All right, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to hit four texts as we break it down, four, four truths, and then we'll live it out. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this text here, as we think about this, God himself choosing to come into this mess, as we think about, uh, as we think about this, John is writing primarily to a a Gentile audience. Gentile simply meaning not Jewish. So there have been a lot of Greek philosophy, Greek understanding in his uh, language as he's writing this, this gospel, this text, this letter. And we see that from the very beginning. He, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word here is, is a Greek word called logos. We, you you probably have heard that if you've been around any type of pop culture. That, that phrase, that word logos, is, is what the Greek word is for here for word. And it simply means a communication where the mind finds expression. It's this Greek philosophical term. It's this uh, understanding of expression, this communication as, as you this maybe uh, just process and thought. And here this, this logos is this word is what John begins to express and to talk about. Now I have four, uh, four truths that we see from these verses about the word. That's how we're going to break it down. Four truths regarding the word, the logos. And here they are. The first truth is this, that the word is a person. 
We see that the word is a person. Notice that it's not, in the beginning was a word. It's not a word. That could mean a lot of different things. This is the word. And let me, let me give, before I even jump in more, let me just give this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig deeper here a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade a little bit into the deeper end here of some biblical truth. And so if you've been around the church for a long time, a lot of this you'll probably grasp. If you're newer to the church and you haven't, you don't know some Old Testament, you're not familiar with some of these phrases, I'm going to do my best to give you some floaties. All right? I want to make sure I don't lose you in the deeper end as we wade into it. Stick with us because this is so important. This is, this is not a word. This is the word. If you know anything about English, this is a definite article. It's the. This is a very specific word. And we see that this word, this logos, is a he in verse 2. He, he is a, a person. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. We, we see this word him. This is a person, the logos, the word. It's not, it's not just a thought or a random expression so, so what's important about this that we need to understand and we need to make sure we get is that people that were reading this would have thought, oh, wait a second, that, that's not, I haven't, hang on. That, that's a new concept. Because the word was simply a, if you think about this word logos, it's just where the, the mind uh, finds expression. It's a communication piece. It would have been similar to like if, if the original readers were reading this and we should have this response to a little bit. You ever, you ever watch a TV show? And at some point within the TV show, like a twist happens, and you just kind of think, well, that was unexpected. I, didn't, I did not see that coming. Like, that, is a, that was a really, di- that was something different. That was something new. I, I was not ready for that. This is the effect. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, that makes sense. The Word was with God. Okay, the Word was God. Wait a second. He, hang on for a second. This is a person? This word that, that finds expression, that's communicated at some point, isn't just an idea, it is an individual. This word, this communication piece that finds expression is God's communication through a person. The logos, the word, is a person. That's truth number one. Truth number two is the word is God. He's not any person. He is God. The, the Logos we see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, okay, and the Word was God. Now, John really wants us to get this. The language that John uses here uh, in the very first part of this, verse 1, in the beginning, is intentionally the same exact phrasing from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... It's the same thing because he's equating the realities of who he's talking about. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, the Word. And he sees here that that this idea of the Word, the Logos, was with God. And not just, let's just make sure we don't get this. John wants us to know that he was in the very beginning with God, always existent. And that everything in creation that was made was made through the agency of the Word. There is nothing that was made that was not made by this person. So we begin to see here a a formation or a summation, if you will, of the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Which, again, this is something that, that we can't actually explain the Trinity. If God was fully explainable, then why would we worship him? He, he's, he's unexplainable, right? So, so you have the Father, and you have the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Word, the Logos. And then you have the third person, which is the Spirit of Christ. And so this Trinitarian aspect, you see it beginning here. This Word, he was, he was with God, and the Word was God, and it's through his agency then that the worlds were put into place, that your molecules exist, that this desk here, that it is, it's functionable, that everything functions the way that it is, that the cockroaches were made. Don't know why. They should just, I mean, that was, God doesn't make mistakes, maybe that one, all right? I hate cockroaches, but you have these things. There, there, are, there are things, every single thing that was made from atoms to universe, uh, from the universe, galaxies, Black holes, everything was made through the word, the logos. This is who he is. Intentionally speaking of Old Testament language in, in this beginning, in the beginning from Genesis 1.1. John is bringing us back into the Old Testament to then bring us back into Christ, which is who the word is. Truth number three, this word came to live among us. This word, this logos, this, this one who is a person, he is God himself. We see that he created everything. This one came into the world, worshipped by angels in the skies. Shepherds came to visit him. Wise men from the east came to see who he was. Mary held him in his arms and he sat and cried in a manger. That one is the logos. The word himself come in human form. We see this in verse 14. And the word, this logos, became flesh. He put on bodily, bodily form. He put on bones and skin and flesh. He, 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 had, uh, he had that upon him. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the God of creation, the God that made everything, became a creature. He was made, he made everything, and yet he, he was born into the world in a night sky. People, or angels, worshipped him because he is worthy of it. And I want you to notice some language that we would miss otherwise. Like John, John wants readers to equate certain things with Old Testament truth. He's trying to bridge some gaps when we think about the story of the Bible, remember the story of the Bible is a cohesive story. It's not just a bunch of books put together. It is one story. We could, we could, we could uh, say the story of the Bible in four words. Creation, fall, meaning the fall. We, we talked about this in, in Genesis 3 when, 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 when uh, Adam and Eve sinned. They made their own way. It's the, called the fall. It's, it's, we just walked away from God. To, so creation, fall, redemption, when Jesus came and he died and he rose again from the dead, and then restoration or consummation, the end when we will be with him forever. So that's the storyline of the Bible, those four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And, and John here is living in a post-redemption uh, post, um, uh, world. Jesus has already risen from the dead. But, but there's a whole lot of time between fall right? And redemption. The whole Old Testament, actually, from Genesis 4 all the way through Matthew 1. 
there's this idea of what, what is happening here. It's this middle ground, and John's drawing us back into that language. The language that he's using here, he wants us to see it. Listen, in Exodus, if, you've, if, you're, not, if, you're, not, if you're new to the Bible, Exodus was when, was when God brought his own people through Moses, this guy named Moses, out into the wilderness, and they were out there for 40 years, wandering around from Egypt. They're getting into the promised land of Israel. For 40 years, they're just out there, and Moses is leading them. But in the middle, God said, you, I want you to build a tent for me. It's called a tabernacle. I want you to build this tent, and I will dwell there among the people. As, we, as we're nomads, we set up, I want right in the middle of the camp, I want the tent, this tabernacle to be built and I want this tabernacle to, to, to house my glory and my presence. I will be with you. I'm not going to be apart from you. I want to be with you in your wanderings. And then the temple would obviously be the next iteration of that. But as they're wandering, it's the tabernacle here in the wilderness. And what John says is, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The end of Exodus chapter uh, 40. I have it for you up on the screen. Exodus chapter 40, we read this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is at the tabernacle when they inaugurated it. This cloud, if you remember the story of them coming out of Egypt, there was a pillar of clouds by day that he would lead them and a pillar of fire by night. This has not gone away. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, this tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that dwelt among us word is? Tabernacled. He set up his tent. This is what this word means. If you, if you read the Greek here in John and the Greek Septuagint in the Old Testament, it's the same exact word. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Listen, as the people of Israel sat down and the tabernacle came in the midst of it, they could see his glory through the clouds and the fire. But no longer is the glory of the Lord in a simple tent made by hands. Now the glory of the Lord dwells in a tent of a body. Listen, Jesus is the tabernacle. And Jesus has come now to dwell among a people. This is, this is something we have to understand. Jesus has come as a person, put on human flesh, no longer in a tent that you make by hands, but in a tent of a body. So that the glory of the Lord could not be distant from his people, but could be close. And John says, we, as his disciples, and as the people that lived among him, have seen the glory of the tabernacle in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came, church, as a tabernacle, a living tent, housing the glory of the Lord in his body as God himself, the creator and maker of all things. He came here, not just to be among us, 
but to bring light into the darkness of this messy world. I skipped a verse, verse four. In him was life. In this tent, this tabernacle, where the glory is, was life. And the life was the light of men. The glory shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To this day, the darkness has not overcome it. The, the glory, the tabernacle of God come in human form. It cannot be thwarted by darkness. It brings light into darkness, into this messy existence. This messy world that is dark with sin, tainted and stained in everything that it is. All of a sudden, a light shines. A light shines out of the darkness and it comes to dwell among us. Life and light, darkness cannot stand before it. There is no darkness that stands at the presence of the tabernacle, the presence of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It does not happen that way. I love at this time of year either watching or reading uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. I, I do this I do this maybe every other year. I, I like to try and watch it every year. It's long. Uh, sometimes I don't get to it. Uh, but I like to at least read it like every other year. I, I just love it. I'm a nerd when it comes to uh, those fantasy kinds of really good fantasy novels. Um, and Tolkien was a was a professing believer. And he there's some themes in here that I think are, are good in this book. There's this one uh, part of this where Galadriel, the, the elf, is giving presents and gifts to the individual uh, fellowship of the ring. These people that are, uh, these, I guess not even people, some hobbits and some people and some elves and things like that. They're, they're going to go off on this quest and she's trying to, to give them some gifts. And she gives to Frodo Baggins, the hobbit, a gift, and this is what it says. And as for you, Frodo Baggins, I give you the light of Arendil, our most beloved star. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Church Jesus is a light for us who came when all other lights went out and there was no hope here and there was no real joy to be had here. There was an existence of continual sinning and judgment and promises, but, but there was 400 years between the last prophet and when this one came, and it was a dark existence, and there was no light, and in came the light of the world, the tabernacle of God, the maker of all things, in bodily form like you and me, for a purpose. The purpose was to bring light and life to this dark and messy world. Jesus himself came here. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy dark and dreamless sleep, silent stars roll by. Yet in the dark streets shineth in everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. This is what we sing about. The, the darkness that comes in, Jesus came to bring life and light for us. He's, he came to bring hope where there was none. But listen, God Almighty, the maker, came here. This should blow our minds. The thing that he spoke into existence, the people that he made, 
The ground that he formed now housed him. It was his home. He, he dwelt among us in perfection. He left glory to come to sinfulness. And, and we need to make sure that we understand this because if we don't understand this, then I think we, we're going to miss something. I asked earlier, what's at stake if we don't get this? You know what it is? I mean, I mean there's a number of things. Let me just give you the one that I think is going to matter for us the most as we think about this. Here's what it is. If you don't understand the, the celebration or the understanding that God himself, God himself, the maker, came into this messy world for you, into your messy life for you, if you don't get it, then I think you're going to miss the reality and not fully understand how much God is for you. How much he is for you. Those times, you know, when you think things like, is God for me? Has God forgotten about me? Has God abandoned me? You think about your past and you think all the things that have happened. I don't know if God's for me. Uh, this week when you go uh, and do whatever you're going to do and something happens and suffering or trials hit and you think, is God actually for me? What is happening? You should remember absolutely because he could have abandoned us a long time ago. Sin, when sin came into the world, perfect justice could have said, well, that's it. I'm just going to leave them to themselves. They don't deserve salvation. They don't deserve this redemption. That doesn't, they don't need that. They don't, they don't deserve it. But he didn't do that. He sent his son, the living tabernacle, to come into this messy world, into your messy life, to save you, to give you hope when you had none, to give you joy when you were joyless, to show mercy to you when you didn't deserve it, to give you grace. He has not abandoned you. He will not abandon you. This is the reality that we have. And if we don't understand it, we don't remember, this messy world should not house the holiest of holies. And yet this tabernacle came and dwelt among us. We need to make sure we get this. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. We read in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Originally said to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will not abandon you. He didn't abandon you then. He will not abandon you now. We need to make sure we understand this church. This is so important for us to grasp and to understand. We want to make sure we get it. We want to make sure that we, we grasp and understand that at Christmas time we celebrate the reality that God himself chose to come here. As Kurt Warner asked, why are you here? We should ask, why are you here not because we don't know the answer, but because we should take a moment to remember. Why did he come here? He came here for you. He came here for me. How do we live this out this week? I just have one thing. Two, two, two parts underneath it, but one thing. Here's the application for you. Stop putting off getting to know your God. Now, this sounds like an indictment, maybe. Like, oh, you don't get to know your God. You don't love him. I'm not saying that. This is not an indictment for you. You might think, I am getting to know my God. I, I, I do these things. I'd say, great, do it more. Because you will never come to the end of getting to know him. It will not happen. You could spend every single moment of every single day trying to understand who he is, and you will never Get it, it's never going to happen. You will, you will never exhaust his glory and his mercy and his might. Stop putting it off. 
Press in, press on. Know him, open your Bibles. Read books about him. Talk about him. Go to community group and learn from others. Find discipleship. Try to grasp who he is. Two things you can grasp, two things you can grow in as you stop putting off getting to know him. Grow in your knowledge of the love of God for you. That he didn't abandon you when he could have. That he, it was God. Look, sometimes we can think of God, if you're like me, we can think of God a little bit like the person who's angry with us. You know, like he's, he's got wrath for us and he's, uh, but if it wasn't for Jesus, and Jesus is like holding him back, it's not what the Bible says. Jesus didn't come because God's wrathful. I mean, I mean, that is true, but what John says is, for God so loved the world, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Not, not for God so hated people that he sent his son. For God wanted so badly to crush everybody that he had to send his son. But for God so loved the world. We need to make sure that we understand and know the love of God for us. Look, as good, as good theological folks, this is something sometimes that we push back against. Well, we're talking too much about God's love. You can never talk too much about God's love. Look, we need to make sure we get, get it and understand it. Let's, let's press into this. He did not abandon you in your darkness, but he sent a light in Jesus Christ. That's one. The, the second thing we can grow in is our knowledge of the grace of Jesus. Because he, he came for the very purpose of dying and rising again from the grave. Not, not, just, not just haphazardly, but for you and for me. Do we get the grace of God? Look, we don't deserve grace. We don't deserve God's love. We didn't do anything to earn it, but he gives it to us freely. Look, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, or maybe you've thought a lot about being a Christian. You've thought a lot about what it means to know God or to know Jesus. You've thought a lot about this. Maybe you've heard people talk about it. Maybe you're at home and you've heard a lot of people mention things about the gospel or Jesus, and you've thought, maybe I should believe it, but I don't want to believe it. I don't know if I can. Listen, let me encourage you this morning as you're listening to this. There is grace to be had for you. There is hope that you can experience. There is joy that you don't yet know. There is something about knowing Christ and grasping the love of God that you, you cannot fully understand unless you press into him and say, show me. Show me your love. Show me your grace. And, and submitting yourself to the reality of Jesus' death for you. The fact that you were once... At the fall part of that, creation, fall, you're in this. And it's not until you grasp the idea of redemption where Jesus took upon all of your uh, rule-making ways and said, I'll take them upon myself so that then you can come before God Almighty with joy, not in judgment, but forgiven of your sins. That is the gospel. It's the gospel, and you, it could be yours this morning. You could actually find that experience this morning. Don't wait any longer if you're, if you're here and you're just wondering, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it just feels weird to me. I don't know. Don't wait any longer. If you're at home, don't wait any longer. This gospel is for you. Listen, one of our, one of our values is being relentlessly outward. Do you know why we're relentlessly outward? Meaning, meaning we want to face outward towards the community. If you're not a Christian, we want to face outward towards you. You know why? 
Because that's what God did. That's who God is. He didn't sit at home in his, on his throne, heaven, just saying, well, leaving them to their, themselves. They're, they've lost it. They've blown it. No, he, he, says, he says, I want to go to them so that they might know me. Listen, he wants to go to you so that you might know him. And we as a church, we want to make sure that we understand one more time as we're relentlessly outward, God's love is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than your failures, rebellion. This is the good news of Christmas. It's not just about a little baby in swaddling clothes. It is, but that little baby isn't just a little baby. He's the maker. He's the tabernacle. And he's filled with glory. We want to make sure we get I'm going to invite the band up here. I want to make sure that we understand this. Look, we've talked from the very beginning of this series, anticipating the arrival of Jesus, about Genesis 3, that God promises a savior. And Tyler talked about justice. God is a God of justice, and there are implications for that as we go out. But his perfect justice plays itself out both in restoration of the world, as we're going to see in redemption of the world, but also through uh, the reality that he cannot abide with sin. And, and the judgment of God then is coming against sinners. Look, we, we recognize here that this coming of Jesus Christ, the tabernacle, was to rescue us. It's the fulfillment of Genesis 3. The coming of Christ is the fulfillment of, Gen- of Genesis 3. We want to see that and understand it and actually rejoice in it this Christmas. Let's take a Christmas season as a celebration, a celebration of who he is. We're going we're gonna to talk about it again on the 23rd. I invite you all to come into this room. We, we worship together. We think about this one more time before uh, we celebrate Christmas on Friday. We want to make sure that we get it. Church, I want to make sure that you get it and understand it and know it. I'm going to pray, and then Julie and the band are actually going to keep our seats. They're going to sing a song. What I want you to do, I asked you to sing this because I want you to, to just think about the lyrics ponder these things, and then she'll ask us to stand when it's time. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us as we, um, as we think about this. Jesus, you are the embodiment of the tabernacle. Your glory could be seen, and your presence could be experienced. The people in the Old Testament could not approach that tabernacle when the glory was there. It was unapproachable. That is not you. You call us to come to you. If we are weary and burdened, Lord, I pray that we would get that and understand it, that we would look at the coming of the baby in the manger, the word of God, the logos, you who were the uh, the agent of creation, the tabernacle of the living God is one who calls to us and is our savior. So grateful, so grateful for you. I pray that we would have joy this Christmas as we gather, remembering who you are, what you've done. Help us to know you. God, help us to know your love and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.